We're going to begin with our key truth, and we're going to start things off so that you know exactly where we're going in this message. Here's your key truth. Mentoring does not have to be formal to be effective. Mentoring does not have to be formal to be effective. So Bree and I got married April the 20th, 1996. We just celebrated 27 years of marriage, and I know what some of you are thinking. Hey, thanks. That's wonderful. Some of you are probably wondering, how could you be married for 27 years when you're not a day over 25? I, I know. I get it. It's a mystery to me, too. But anyway, we spent our first year and a half in Savannah. I was a store manager at Abercrombie & Fitch, which is a little strange right now, I know. And uh, Bria was a full-time receptionist at the church that we attended. And just before Bria got that job, she spent about four months with my mom. And here's how that happened. She would go over, and usually she wanted to get a swim. And so she would swim, and then they would sit out at the pool, and they would drink coffee, and they would talk. And then they would grab lunch because she was still there, and they would talk. And then afterwards, they would start talking about sewing projects, and they would work on a couple, and they would talk. And then they would start working on dinner, and they would talk. I don't know if you all know, but there was a lot of talking that was going on at that time. And again, that's going to be completely crazy brand new information because my wife is so introverted. I, I understand that is it's a surprise for many. But they talked about everything. They talked about children and family and scripture and parenting and cooking and marriage. You name it, they covered it. Even after Bria started working full-time, because of the fact that I was working retail and sometimes in the evening, you're working an evening shift, about three, four times a week, she would go to my parents' house, they would have dinner, and then afterwards, she and my mom would go out on a walk and they would talk. See, you all know exactly what's happening right there. So the conversations just kept going. That was about a year and a half before we went back to Athens for me to finish my undergrad. Here's the reason I'm bringing that up. If you were to ask my mom, did you mentor Bria? She would have said, no. If you were to ask Bria, did your mother-in-law mentor you? She would say yes. It all comes back to how you define mentoring. In its most basic form, mentoring is when one person with more knowledge and experience in a particular area, they pour into another person with less knowledge or experience in that particular area. It doesn't have to be formal. You don't have to use titles like mentor or apprentice or protege or padawan for those Star Wars fans in the group. Uh, many mentoring relationships are those that look a whole lot more like a growing friendship than they do any type of a formal arrangement. And oftentimes, it's not until you look back in hindsight that you say, I was being mentored during that time. Mentoring does not have to be formal to be effective. So as we continue today in our Equip series, we're talking about equipping believers for every stage of life and specifically how discipleship and equipping and mentoring takes place within the home. In our 2023 installment for this series, I'm giving seven different messages that are covering the topics of motherhood, fatherhood, singleness, and single parenting. And there's going to be two of these messages that are going to be heavy on the side of mentoring. One of those is today, and then I'm going to come back in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to be talking about maturity and manhood, and we're going to address mentoring in the context of manhood. But all of that being said, 
We are focusing on these pieces that happen within the home. God has designed discipleship, mentoring, equipping to primarily occur within the home. Now, every time I get into this type of a series and we talk about motherhood or fatherhood or singleness, it's inevitable that somebody's sitting in the crowd thinking, all right, I'm just going to tune out because that message does not apply to me. Let me just say, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, every one of these messages will apply to you. You might not be a father or a mother right now, but there's a chance you might be in the future. And by the way, now's the time to learn it before you're in that position. At the same time, somebody might say, but I'm married. What does a message on singleness have to do with me? Because of divorce and death, many people find themselves single again. It's rare, even if you're married 50 years, it's rare for both a husband and a wife to pass away at the same time. Singleness is how we start life, and many times it's how we end life. Somebody might say, but I'm not a single parent. I guarantee you there's somebody in your circle of influence who is a single parent. As believers, it's not just about us. It's not just about let me get what I need for me. It's also about who does God put in your path, and how is he equipping you today to be a source of encouragement and providing truth for them tomorrow? All of these messages will apply to every single follower of Christ. So without any further ado, I invite you to go with me in your Bibles this morning. We're in the book of Titus, chapter number 2, Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. And I'm speaking on the subject of mentoring and womanhood. Mentoring and womanhood. Here's what the text says, beginning in verse number 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would guide us through this text by your Holy Spirit. May we hear clearly what you desire for this text to relay to every single person that's in this room. God, give us a a clarity, not only around your word, but a clarity about where we sit in relation to spiritual maturity, who it is that we're pouring into, and who it is that has poured into us. In Jesus' name, amen. So whenever we get into a text like this, it's always important we take a moment and we establish context. Context is key to everything when you study the word of God. So the book of Titus, it was written by the Apostle Paul to this young man by the name of Titus who is referred to in chapter 1, verse 4, as my true child in a common faith. Titus was a Greek believer who had been mentored by the Apostle Paul. In fact, he was one of the Apostle Paul's trusted travel companions, and he was a guy in which eventually down the road, chapter 1, verse 5, he became the overseer of the churches in the area of Crete. Now, over time, you find that the Apostle Paul was the one who mentored and trained Titus. But now there's a transition that needs to happen. At this point, now Titus is the one who is being called to establish, develop, equip, and mentor another generation of leaders. So in chapter 1, it begins with this introduction. 
The focus is on the transference of leadership. Verses 1 through 3, it describes Paul's ministry. Then it talks about Titus's responsibilities in verses 4 and 5 and the leaders that Titus was going to equip and mentor in chapter 1, verse 5. Then Paul lists the qualifications of an elder, verses 6 through 9, and then he contrasts those qualifications with false teachers and false leaders found in verses 10 through 16. So by the time we now enter into chapter 2, the emphasis is on what you might call trickle-down discipleship or successional mentoring. That is, how do you take the insights as well as the experience that have now been poured into one person and how do you systematically pour those same pieces into another person? That is mentoring. That is equipping. That is discipleship. Now, the line of mentoring is probably the clearest in the book of Titus as you're going to find anywhere in the Word of God. That is, the Apostle Paul is the one who mentored Titus. Titus is called to mentor the elders of Crete. The elders of Crete are called to pour into believers in the churches of Crete. The older women are called to pour into the younger women. The older men are called to pour into the younger men. At each stage along the way, each person is called to pour into another person. And by the way, that is normal Christian living. That's what it's supposed to look like. A disciple is someone who pursues Jesus by loving God, united with believers, serving the world, and here it is, entrusting the gospel. You entrust to others what God has entrusted to you. That's normal Christian living. And if we're not seeing that, then that means somehow we have departed from the standard that's very clearly found in Scripture. So mentoring is clear. At every level of a church, whether you're talking about clergy or laity, men or women, young or old, mentoring is absolutely established. There is a call to maturity, and listen, and there's always a call to take someone with you. Always. The idea of being okay with spiritual immaturity is not found in the Bible. And the idea of running the race by yourself is also not found in the Bible. Mentoring leads to maturity. Now, today I'm focusing on mentoring and womanhood from the first part of this text. And like I said, I'll come back in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about maturity and manhood, mentoring in the context of manhood in a couple of weeks. But here's our big truth once again. Mentoring does not have to be formal to be effective. Now, based on this particular text, there's other passages that speak of mentoring. They add more to this. But based on this particular text, what can we learn about biblical mentoring and what can we also learn about the call to Christian maturity? Here's the first truth that I want you to see. Biblical mentoring begins by modeling the right behaviors. Begins by modeling the right behaviors. I've shared it before, I'll share it again. You teach what you know, you reproduce who you are. Teach what you know, reproduce who you are. Mentoring is not only about giving people right answers. Mentoring is about consistently living the right way so that there is a platform by which you can now share with someone else how they too can live the right way. In verse number three, there are four key behaviors that should be a part of godly women 
as they're going to mentor someone else. It says that they are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Now this phrase, older women, it is assuming that with age comes wisdom and maturity and patience. It should be that the older we get, the wiser and the more gentle in the ways of God we become. It should be that the further we walk with God, the more we see the opportunities to invest in somebody else. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. Sometimes the older people get, the more foolish they become, the more cantankerous they become, the more set in their own ways they become, the more resistant to the Holy Spirit they can become. As a result of that, Old age can become fertile soil for depression and a judgmental spirit and cynicism and resisting the Holy Spirit. Instead of using those later years in order to pour into somebody else, many times that becomes a time where people say, I'm done, I've served, I've shared, I've been out there, I've given, now's my time, now it's for me. And they begin to withdraw, and here's what happens. They take the experience, the knowledge, the wisdom that God spent a lifetime pouring into them and they don't transfer it to somebody else. It should be the older we get, the more opportunities we should see around us. Christian, Christian aging should be different. The longer we walk with God, there should be a depth and a sweetness in our walk with the Savior. It should have to be that way. We've had more opportunities to see him at work. We've had more opportunities to be in his word. We've had more opportunities to see he's faithful. It should be the, the older we get, the more of a gentle, sweet disposition we have because we know him more. As we age, there's a great opportunity to use the freedom of time and the experience of the years to invest in somebody else. I, I love reading stories and biographies of some of the men and women of God that have been greatly used over time. One of the ones I ran across just fired me up on multiple levels. It was about John Wesley. Listen to this. At the age of 83, after traveling 250,000 miles on horseback, God bless him for that, <laughs> preaching more than 40,000 sermons, writing over 200 books and pamphlets, John Wesley regretted that he was unable to read and write for more than 15 hours a day without his eyes getting tired. At the age of 86, he wrote in a journal that he lamented this growing tendency to lie in bed until 5.30 in the morning. God give us some more Wesleys out there. I was inspired years ago whenever I read the story of Caleb out of Joshua chapter 14. He was one of the two spies that believed God when it came to the promised land. But as you know, he as well as Joshua, they were overruled. They spent 40 years wandering in the desert. But now they get a second chance to go in. And we find that in his story, at the age of 85, he remembered the promises of God. He remembered a piece of land that had been promised to him. At the age of 85, he said, give me this mountain. I want to be 85 years old trusting God for mountains in my life. 
There's something inspiring about people that have lived a strong walk with God over the course of time. And as they get older and older, they don't retreat. They lean in more into him. I pray that God gives us men and women of God who have more of a passion in their 70s and 80s to live out the gospel than what they had in their 30s and 40s. I'm praying that's going to be the case. But if that's going to happen, mentoring has to be a part of it. Now, Paul does not specify what qualifies as older women. But what we do find is the emphasis is on pieces of maturity more than a numeric age. So here's the question. What is maturity? Here's the question. If you're a young woman, what should you be looking for in a godly mentor? He tells us in the text. You're to look for someone who is reverent in their behavior. The root meaning of reverent is priest-like. It refers to that that is appropriate to holiness. Older women are to be examples of holiness for the next generation of women. The, the person who is in this place, the person who is living with this reverent, holy character has been set apart unto God in joy, in wisdom, in patience, and in firsthand knowledge of God. Their speech is going to be different than other people. They don't take a bad conversation and make it worse. They elevate a low conversation and they make it better. There is humility in their walk, humility in their lives. When you look at the way they live their life, you see much of the character and the attributes of Christ. They're not perfect, but there's maturity that has happened. The next phrase is not malicious gossips. They refuse to listen to, much less propagate slanderous, demeaning words of others. Did you know there's a lot of gossip that happens in the church under the banner of, I need you to pray for me about, and all of a sudden it opens up. If that person could not be sitting in the room and you be comfortable sharing the same thing because you have with them, be careful about bringing that up to others. It's okay to ask people to pray, but be careful that your tongue is not tearing down a brother or sister in Christ. Malicious gossips translates into diabolos. It means slanderer or false accuser. It's used 34 times in the New Testament of Satan, the one in which Jesus calls the father of lies, John chapter 8, verse 44. The next piece is not enslaved to much wine. This phrase refers to drunkenness, Throughout history, people have turned to alcohol as not only a stimulant, but also as a means of suppressing pain and frustration and loneliness. The word enslaved, it, it literally means held and controlled against one's will. Sometimes people don't know they've been enslaved until they try to quit. The final attribute is teaching what is good. This godly mentor, this maturity level is one that they teach what is good. That, that means their instruction is noble, it is excellent, it is lofty. Biblical mentoring begins by modeling the right behavior, and then from there it goes to teaching and sharing the right behavior. That brings us to our second truth. Biblical mentoring requires mature believers to share what is true 
and humble believers to receive what is shared. Without maturity, truth is not shared and the conversation goes nowhere. Without humility, truth is not received and the information falls on deaf ears. We need both parts for strong mentoring to happen. Now, I have heard this argument from those who are young. I've heard the same argument from those who are old. Let me give you the argument. Let me try to pull out some thoughts here. I've heard many young people say, I wish I had an older mentor, but no one will take the time. I've heard older people say, I wish I could mentor someone, but the young people are not asking. Have you heard either one of those? Okay. So let me try my best not to upset people if I don't have to. But I need to bring out some pieces that just don't get mentioned a lot. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes the person who wants to mentor somebody else, they've never shared with anybody that they want to mentor somebody else. So people don't know. Sometimes they've not been open about some of their struggles so that somebody feels like they're relatable. But listen, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes people are not asking because they're not seeing the qualities they want to emulate. Now let me go to the other side of this. There are some who are young that say, I want somebody to mentor me. Sometimes, not all the time, Sometimes, people are not offering because they don't think you really want it. You've not gone up and specifically shared it with someone. Sometimes, not all the time, people are not offering because you've been recognized as having an unteachable spirit. I've been in mentoring relationships for the better part of 25 years. And I can tell you three characteristics that will keep most godly mentors from ever engaging with someone. Three characteristics. An unteachable spirit, an ungrateful attitude, and an unwillingness to act. Those three pieces. An unteachable spirit, an ungrateful attitude, and an unwillingness to act. That type of person is one who is seen as too prideful to learn. They are too entitled to appreciate what's being offered. And many times they're too lazy to act upon what was suggested so that they don't grow spiritually. It's quiet in here. Hey, I'm not trying to make anybody mad but I am trying to give some pieces behind the scenes that sometimes people have not heard. Sometimes they're praying like, God, what's standing in the way? Lord willing, these will give you some places that you might see what's standing in the way. So let's say somebody is young and they want a mentor. They're teachable, they're grateful, they're willing to act. Let's say they talk to a godly mature believer and and that person is willing to pour into them. If that's the case, Based on verses 4 and 5, what should that older woman do as far as sharing with a younger woman? What are the pieces that need to be shared? Look at what it says in verse number 4. It begins with the phrase, so that they may encourage. Pause. We think of encourage many times in the sense of 
lifting up a spirit, lifting up somebody who's down, you're encouraging them. That's not what this word is suggesting. This word means to cause to be of sound mind and have self-control. It's closely related to sensible chapter 1 verse 8 and sensibly chapter 2 verse 12. So older women are to train younger women to have sound mind, self-control, and a sensible attitude about a number of things that are about to be listed. The first of those is loving their husbands. That's the first piece. Now, Paul is not speaking of romantic or sexual love, even though that's important. He's speaking of a committed love that godly wives choose to have for their husbands based on Ephesians 5, 25 and 28. It is a willing, determined love that is not based upon the husband's worthiness. It is based upon God's command. There's a lot of I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back type of love happening within marriages. That is immature love. That is manipulative love. That is the type of love that fades away when the person does not respond, respond in like or deeper fashion. When believers embrace mature love in marriage, they choose to love because that's what God has called them to do. Now, I recognize these teachings are the opposite of what society tells us to do. Society tells us to see marriage through the lens of convenience, preference, and benefit. If the marriage becomes inconvenient, if the conditions are less preferred, if the arrangement is no longer beneficial, then you're encouraged to bring the marriage to an end. That's not Christian marriage. Christian marriage has a higher standard involved because Christian marriage is perfectly designed by God for deeper intimacy with him, for personal holiness with him, and to help us understand the relationship between Christ and the church. One of the greatest pieces of advice I've ever heard when it comes to marriage is marriage is not designed to make us happy, it's made to make us holy. The further you go in marriage, the more you die to self. The more you die to self, the more holiness is being lived through you. Here's the next piece. They're encouraged about helping young women when it comes to loving their children. Now, this is an admonition that is inclusive. Young mothers are to love their children practically, physically, socially, morally, and spiritually. It describes love that has no conditions and it has no limits. They're also to help young women in being sensible. To be sensible is to use common sense and good judgment. It's the same quality that is used to characterize elders, chapter 1, verse 8, older men, chapter 2, verse 2, and all believers, chapter 2, verse 12. Also, help in being pure. Now, this refers primarily to moral purity, but also specifically to sexual purity and marital fidelity. The older women are the one training the younger women saying purity is important. Faithfulness is important. Stay close and clean before God. Ask God to give you eyes only for your spouse. The next is be workers at home. We live in a culture where women are often degraded for choosing to work in the home. There's no greater calling than to devote yourself to caring for your family. But I want you to hear me. That statement does not mean that a mom cannot work outside of the home. 
Proverbs 31 praises a mom who cares for the needs of her home while also conducting business in the marketplace. In Acts 16, Lydia cared for her household, but she was also a businesswoman who was greatly used of God in expanding the gospel throughout Europe. A mom caring for the home and working outside the home, listen, it can be a both and, not either or. There's a first calling that's happening. God gave husbands and wives specific, distinct roles and callings within the home. According to Genesis 2, Mark 10, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, God has called the husband to be the spiritual, sacrificial servant leader of the home. If the family lacks spiritual direction and training, if the marriage begins to fall apart, if the necessities of life are not being provided, if the family is not being protected, God holds the husband accountable. That is the role that he has given the husband. But listen, God's also given a role to the wife. The wife is called to be the submissive, nurturing helpmate of the husband. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, Titus chapter 2. If the fabric of the family begins to deteriorate, if the kids are lacking in training and discipline, if the home ceases to be a nurturing environment for peace and purity and love, God holds the wife accountable. That's the role that he has called her to. God has uniquely, beautifully, perfectly gifted men and women in different ways. He's called us to different roles. He has designed the home to operate optimally according to his design. And any time we get away from his design, it always leads to problems. Older women are also called to encourage younger women in being kind. That is gentle, considerate, amiable, sympathetic. And here's the last one. They're called to encourage younger women in being subject to their own Husbands, let's pause here for a moment. We just talked a little bit about that when it came to the role of the wife. But there's another piece we need to bring out here. This does not mean, everybody look this way, everybody look this way. This does not mean that God sees women as second-class citizens within the home. This does not mean that a wife is to be a doormat for her husband. And while we're here, this also does not mean that there's ever a time for physical abuse to happen in that home. If any of that happens, you call the police and you get to a place of safety immediately. We have to be clear on this because sometimes passages like this are contorted in a way to make somebody feel bad about the fact that they're not supposed to get beat in their own home. That's not being a godly husband. That's not following the dictates of Scripture. We have to be clear in this. This text is describing God's design, his beautiful design for marriage. And he's telling husbands and wives, here's my design, walk in it. And as a husband is following Jesus and living in accordance with the word, it gives the wife the opportunity to follow and be that helpful, submissive helpmate to the husband. So here's the final part. Number three, what's the final part of biblical mentoring? 
Biblical mentoring is grounded in a motivation higher than personal growth. This begins at the end of verse number five, but is found in the following verses as well. At the end of this section, when it says this is what the older women are to invest in younger women, it says, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. In other words, biblical mentoring is about more than self-realization. It's about more than just you and I getting better in things. We find that the call to mentoring is a call to discipleship. It's a call to maturity. It's a call to take others with us along the way. And it's about more than just our personal growth. It's also about God's reputation. According to this text, you can write the references off to the side. When this is happening, it's so that the word of God will not be dishonored, verse 5. That the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us, verse number 8. And that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect, verse number 10. God's honor is at stake. When last lost people are considering the claims of Christ... When they're wondering about the power of God, the faithfulness of God, the the impact of God, when they look at those things, they look at his followers to evaluate him. They evaluate who he is based on who we are. And that's fair. We do the exact same thing all the time. We evaluate parents by watching their kids. We evaluate teachers by the performance of their students. We evaluate coaches according to their team's wins or losses. And when the world evaluates God, the world does it by looking at his followers. And if our lives are overwhelmed by sin, if we're known for being greedy and arrogant and mistreating people, if our marriages are loveless and falling apart, if our language is foul, if we are slandering and gossiping about others, it's hard for the world to take us seriously when we say, God changed me. I wonder how many times they're like, how? In what way? How bad was it beforehand? And I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just saying, if we're going to say the gospel can transform a life, it needs to have lives representing the gospel. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect on this side of heaven, but unfortunately, sometimes we get in the habit of just dialing it in. We're just like, I'm just going to go to church because that's what I do on Sunday. I'm just going to read my Bible because I was told I needed to do it. I'm going to pray because i got a lot of problems in my life. Instead of somebody saying, God, give me an honest assessment of where I am before you. If I think I'm up here but I'm down here, God, help me to see that. If you're seeing character issues in me that I don't see in myself, God, give me the eyes to see that. It should be that the follower of Christ is not content with levels of immaturity. It should be that we keep pressing in day after day. And here's the thing. If you do it, it's going to get uncomfortable between you and God. It will. But it's better for God to deal with it in private than for him to have to expose it in public. Brothers and sisters, we got a world that wants to see whether or not God is real. And we got, according to Scripture, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. 
We've got a group of men and women, black and white, young and old, in this group right now. People who are saying, Jesus changed my life. We got a city that is hurting right now. We got people to love. We got people to disciple. We got people to mentor. If we don't do it, who is? And if you don't look in the news and find out things are getting worse day by day, I don't know what you're looking at. Get your head out of the sand. We have a short amount of time before Jesus comes. There are family members who do not know Jesus. There are friends of ours that do not know Jesus. There are people that are suffering and hurting. And the church of Jesus Christ has the power of God. They have the gospel. They got the opportunity. And we're not using it. We need to mentor we need to pour into others. We need to live on mission with God. And we can't wait for somebody else to say, all right, I'll do it. We're the ones called to step up. You're like, Paul, that's not my calling. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's your calling. It's all of our calling. Let's finish with this thought. Mentoring does not have to be formal, to be effective. If you want a mentor, start in prayer. Ask God to reveal any characteristics in your life that would get in the way of a godly mentor speaking in. Unteachable spirit, ungrateful attitude, unwillingness to act. Pray that God puts the right person in your path. Look for someone who's a little bit further down the road than what you are. Someone who is living the way that you desire to live. And somebody who displays the qualities that you want to emulate. When you find that person, ask them if they would be willing to meet with you occasionally and talk about life and talk about faith. And by the way, somebody doesn't have to be a mentor in every area of your life. I've got mentors in my life who have poured into me in ministry. I've got mentors in my life who have poured into me as a dad and as a husband. I've got mentors in my life who have poured into me when it comes to discipleship and church planting. A person doesn't have to be a mentor in every area for God to use them to invest in certain areas. Now listen, wise mentors do not agree to endless mentoring. And if you're looking for someone in that category, you're going to be looking a long time. They will mentor heavily on the front side, and then they move to more of an occasional consultant on the back side. It's not that they don't love the person. The issue is if there's not a time limit, people don't see the urgency to act. They become ungrateful about the time that has been spent. And the mentor will max out with two, three, or four people without being able to invest in others. If you're a little bit older, a little bit wiser, a little bit more mature according to what we find in verse 3, would you pray that God would bring you someone to mentor? God has gifted you with experience, time, and opportunity. He's allowed you to see things that others have not seen and to grow in ways that others have not yet grown. Ask God to give you an opportunity to invest that in somebody else. On both sides, it begins and proceeds in prayer. On both sides, 
you're asking God to take you into further levels of maturity. Both sides, you're asking God to bring the relationship together. Mentoring does not have to be formal to be effective. But here's my final thought. It needs to happen to make a difference. And ask if you would to bow with me for prayer. His heads are bowed for just a moment. I want us to just kind of finish out this service with encouraging people on what their next step needs to look like. There may be some in the room right now that you're looking at this and you're saying, there's been some character things in my life that I think are standing in the way of somebody mentoring me. If that's the case, confess it to God. Share it with him. Ask him to do the work in you. There might be people in the room right now that you've, you've kind of checked out. God's poured a lot into you, and instead of you finding that next person, you've kind of checked out, and the world is starting to close in around you a little bit. Would you pray and ask God that he would bring people into your life that you can invest in? In a crowd of this size, people are going to be at any number of places wrestling with any number of issues. There's going to be those who they have been mentored and those who have not. Those who want to mentor and those who desire to serve and to help others. We're going to have a final word of prayer. And as we do, I'm just going to ask you if you would just follow the Spirit's prompting. That might be well beyond this service. It might be that He's prompting you for something that needs to happen next week or next month. Just Walk in obedience with him. Heavenly Father, we ask today, Lord, that you would be the one to help us not only see the relationships, but to be those who can be invested in and also, Lord, those who make an investment in others. God, we need you to make that happen. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stand at this time. We're gonna have... A final song of invitation, some of our pastors and pastor's wives will be at the front. Some of our counselors, both men and women, will be at the front. If there's a piece that you're asking God to work into your heart and you want to talk to somebody about it, there are people here right now who would love to pray with you and walk with you and help serve any way that you possibly can. Thank you.